Well, good morning. We'll be in Acts chapter 8, if you have your Bible with you. If you don't, it should be a pew Bible in front of you. It should be page 973. Acts chapter 8. In November of 1987, some of you may remember that, Microsoft released a product that is what's estimated as of last year to be used by 1.1 billion people. Just so you know, there's about 8 billion people on the planet. So about one-eighth of the population of the entire planet uses this product. It's a product called Microsoft Excel. And maybe you've used it before. I know that I use it almost on a daily basis in my job at Humana. But even for people who don't work corporate jobs, you've probably been introduced to it. You've maybe dabbled with it. You've maybe tried to you know, figure out a couple functions with it. And I remember when I was applying for my job at Humana back in 2015, one of the requirements said, must be proficient with Microsoft Excel. And I was thinking, well, yeah, it's easy. You know, you like put some numbers in there and then, you know, underneath it equals sum and then you click on all the boxes you want to add up and boom, there it is. And so I thought I had a good understanding of how to use Microsoft Excel. Little did I know, once I started using it on a regular basis, Microsoft Excel can do so much more than I had ever realized. Still, even after working at Humana for almost eight years, no, I get every day, I feel like there are so many things that Excel can do that I still have no idea. I haven't even scratched the surface. And I would even guess to say that there may be probably not even one of those 1.1 billion people that use it that know everything that it can do and its full capabilities. It's a really, really powerful and useful program. And as I've been reading through the book of Acts, I've been thinking about the Holy Spirit a lot. And unfortunately, I think a lot of Christians are with the Holy Spirit the way I am or most people are with Microsoft Excel. We know it's a thing. We know that we can do some basic things with it, but it is able to do far more than we even realize or think it could possibly do. And when I've been reading the book of Acts, I'm just reminded that the Spirit is doing things all over the place, all throughout the book in great and miraculous ways that we often don't see in our world today. Now, we also need to be careful because we understand that Acts is largely descriptive, meaning it's describing what happened, not necessarily prescriptive in that it's telling us what to do. Now, that's not to say there are not things in the book of Acts that are prescriptive. There are things that we see in the book of Acts that are telling us this is how the church should, should go. But not everything is prescriptive. So we need to be careful uh, when we read the book of Acts and see all the different things that the Spirit is doing. But I want us to look this morning specifically at the work of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 8. And as Matt read already in our scripture reading, Jesus himself told his disciples that it was to their advantage that he goes away. 
Because what he said would happen is the helper will come and will be with you. So we need to be reminded that it is to our advancement that Jesus is no longer walking the earth today because in his place he has sent his spirit, the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of believers and that is better for us than if Jesus were still walking the earth. That's what Jesus told to his disciples. And then Peter, earlier in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter two, we've got the day of Pentecost and Peter preaches this sermon. And when the people are responding, they ask Peter, what must we do to be saved? And Peter's response is, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit given to believers is a gift. And everyone who believes on the name of Jesus will receive that gift. And so I want us to look this morning at the power of the Holy Spirit, specifically what we see here in Acts chapter eight. Now, if you've not read the book of Acts before or if it's been a long time since you've read it, I wanna just recap a couple of things. We're not gonna look real in, uh closely at all of this, but a couple things are important. So back in Acts chapter one, just a few pages back, the very beginning of this book starts with Jesus once again promising his disciples that he is going to send the Holy Spirit. And so at this point, Jesus has already died and resurrected, and he has appeared again to his disciples. And before he goes back into heaven, he tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit is coming. He says uh, in verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, uh, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So at the beginning of the book, Jesus once again is reminding his disciples, reiterating his promise that the Holy Spirit is coming. Wait here for it. And then we get this awesome verse eight, which is perhaps the summary verse of the whole book. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so it's this summary statement where Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is going to come and when he does, you are then gonna be my witnesses, not only here in Jerusalem, but also in the greater area of Judea and in Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. And so then we get to Acts chapter two and in Acts chapter two is where we see the Holy Spirit coming upon his disciples that are waiting there where he told them to wait. Verse five of chapter two, Sorry, verse uh, two. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so we have this event happening where the Spirit has come, it has rested upon them, they've received the Holy Spirit, they begin talking in tongues that they had not previously known. And of course, what happens is everybody else in Jerusalem is like, what is going on? These people must be drunk. And so Peter gets up and he explains, he starts to preach and he says, these people aren't drunk as you suppose, but they are rather filled with the Spirit, which leads to his sermon that day. 
in which 3,000 people are saved. We fast forward just a little bit more, you get to Acts chapter six. And Acts chapter six is a big chapter because in it, there's an issue that arises with people who are not receiving uh, what they need, all right? There's some widows who are not being uh, helped or they're not being uh, given what they need in the daily distribution. And so the apostles say, all right, church, we're gonna set aside seven individuals and we're gonna assign them to the of taking care of, the, of these individuals. And so look at what is said uh, by the apostles. Verse three of chapter six. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And so they pick seven men who are filled with the spirit and filled with wisdom. One of them is Stephen. The second one mentioned is Philip. And he's the one we will focus on today. But before we get to Philip, chapter seven is all about the first martyr in the early church. And the martyr is Stephen. Stephen is one who is filled with the spirit. And what we see in Stephen, which is amazing, is that even though he's selected as this person who's just really his main role is to serve the church, we see that this is a man who truly knew his Bible. He truly loved the Lord and he was not afraid to confess it and admit it. And he gives this awesome sermon as he's on trial, essentially, and it ends with his stoning. And then we pick up with our chapter here in chapter eight. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Notice those two places that he mentions, Judea and Samaria. What did Jesus tell his disciples before he ascended into heaven? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this persecution that's come upon them is serving to fulfill the command that God gave to his disciples. Now it spreads out the church except the apostles. And then in verse three, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged men and women, he dragged off so this women and committed them to prison. So this is the scene where we are in Acts chapter eight. There's already been a martyr in the church. Stephen has been killed for his faith. And now there's a great persecution that has arisen against the church. And this guy named Saul, who many of us understand is Paul, he will be changed radically here in, in the next chapter. But for now, the life of Christians is in danger. And so they're spread. And then we see verse four. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Notice back at verse one, they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. See, the apostles were not scattered. They stayed there in Jerusalem. It's the rest of the church that was scattered. But what did the rest of the church do in verse four? Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The first thing, this is not even a point I have in my notes, but the first thing that we all need to be reminded of 
is that it's not only the responsibility of leaders in the church to be preaching the gospels, it's the responsibility of Christians, of members in the church to be preaching the gospel. As members of the church, as followers of Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the same Holy Spirit that I have. I have the same Holy Spirit that Josh Green has and Josh Womble and Matt McBroom. We all have the same spirit dwelling inside of us if we are believers in Jesus. And the spirit bears witness to the truth. And what you see here in the early church is that even though it wasn't the leadership of the church that was scattered initially, the rest of the church took every opportunity to proclaim the good news, preaching the word. And so I've got two points for you this morning. The first point is that the Holy Spirit is preparing people to hear the people to hear the Holy Spirit is preparing people to hear the gospel. My second point is that the Holy Spirit is leading his people to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit is leading his people to share the gospels. There's two examples here in chapter eight that I want us to look at. The first is verses nine through 13. Uh, really, we'll back up to verse five. Sorry, verse five through 13. And this is a guy named Simon and the city of Samaria. So read with me, starting in verse five. So Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So how is the Holy Spirit preparing these people? Well, let's look at it. In verse nine, you see that this guy named Simon was practicing magic, which at face value doesn't seem like that big of a deal. All right, we know that people are magicians. They make a living doing things like that, tricking us, those of us who don't know how the tricks work. But notice how the people of Samaria felt about him. Look, nine and 10. The, uh, and he amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. So by this magic, Simon is making a name for himself and all the people from the greatest of them to the least of them were paying attention to Simon. He had their attention and he even had them saying something such as, this man is the power of God that is called great. He's got their attention. He's got their attention through the ability to perform this magic, or so it's called, right? Tricking or deceiving people. We don't know any details about what it involved, but we know that he used it to get their attention. 
So how is that preparing them? Well, they've become accustomed to one man being able to do things that they are not able to do. And that focused their attention on him, on Simon. And so then Philip comes, and what does he come doing? Verse six, or verse five, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Philip's doing when he goes to Samaria is he's going and he's proclaiming Christ. But what else is he doing? Verse six, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. You see, Philip comes to Samaria and he's preaching the good news about Jesus, but he's also got signs that are accompanying his preaching. So now this city of Samaria has seen Simon for so long and they've been amazed by what he's able to do that they're calling him the power of God that is called great. Now Philip comes. And Philip, along with his proclamation of the good news about Jesus, he is also performing signs and miracles. Look what he's doing. Verse seven. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame. What Philip were healed. So there was much joy in that city. See, what Philip begins to do is better and greater than what Simon has ever been able to do. And we know that for sure because of verse 13. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, what had, Philip, uh, what had Simon done to the other people of Samaria? He amazed them. Now the one who was amazing them is being amazed himself. And it's clearly the power of the Holy Spirit who had prepared the people by giving them Simon, this guy who was working magic. They had fixed all their attention on him so that when Philip came, proclaiming the good news and with his signs and wonders, the focus shifted. And it was no longer on Simon. It was now on Philip. But then we have a second example. It's the Ethiopian eunuch. And if you've been around church for any amount of time, you may have heard a, a sermon on this passage. It's a wonderful, amazing passage. But look at how the Ethiopian eunuch is prepared for this encounter with Philip. Verses uh, 26 through 40 uh, we're not, we won't read the whole thing just yet. But in uh, verse 27, so he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, we don't know a whole lot about this individual. We know that uh, Ethiopia was modern-day Sudan. All right, there is a country called Ethiopia, which is south of Sudan in Africa, uh, but many biblical scholars believe that the Ethiopia in, in Bible times was more so like Sudan, so just south of Egypt. So he had come a long way. He had traveled a very long way to Jerusalem, and his purpose was to worship. In verse 28, and he was, at, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, maybe he had received this scroll when he was in Jerusalem to worship. Maybe he had it prior to that. We don't know exactly. But what we do know 
<clears throat> is that he had been led to go to Jerusalem to worship. And as he's on his way home in his chariot, he's reading Isaiah. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, I told you all that one of the first points is that God is preparing people to hear the gospel. I think in both of these situations, we see that God had prepared the people in a certain way so that when Philip comes, when he begins his proclamation of the gospel, they are ready to hear it. They are ready to receive it. So now I want you to see that God is leading his own people to share the gospel. Sorry, before that, in John chapter four, Jesus tells his disciples, Jesus, there's this interaction with the woman at the well. And maybe you've heard this story before, but this, this woman comes to the well and Jesus is there and, she, and Jesus begins to talk with her. And she's like, well, why are you talking to me? Nobody ever talks to me. And so Jesus you know, is, is telling her things that, she, that he would never know were he not Jesus, the son of God. And ultimately he says, why don't you go and, and get your husband and bring him here? And she's like, well, I don't have a husband. And he's like, yeah, I know, because you've had five and the one that you have now is not even your husband, right? And so there's this awesome encounter where she is putting together the pieces like, hold on, this guy, is, he's, he's a prophet or something. And after this interaction, Jesus tell his, tells his disciples this. He says, lift up your eyes. There are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Even way before Jesus dies on the cross and sends his disciples out via the Great Commission, he is letting them know that there is a harvest out there and it's ready for workers. There are people who are ready to hear the gospel. When he says the harvest is ready or the fields are white for harvest, that means they're ready for you to go out, get your sickle, chop it down and bring it in. There are people all over the world that are ready to hear the gospel. God's been working in their heart. The spirit has been softening them in lots of different ways. And he is sending us out to share the gospel, to tell them what they need to hear. And so the Holy Spirit is preparing people to hear the gospel, but the Holy Spirit is also leading his people to share the gospel. Notice back at this first example, Philip in Samaria. What leads Philip to go to Samaria? It's persecution. It's something that we look at and think that's the worst thing ever. We hate the idea of persecution. It scares us. We think, hold on, you, you mean I could potentially lose my life for the sake of just being a Christian, for the sake of what it is that I believe? There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That's what was happening. And what's Philip's response? Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now, we don't know if Philip had, had 
may have wound up in Samaria at some point eventually, but we know that he ended up there because persecution. Because of this great persecution against the church by Saul, the church was scattered. And Philip went down to Samaria and his response to this great persecution against the church is, you know what, I'm gonna go somewhere away from where the the immediate threat is and I'm gonna be a witness to Jesus. I'm gonna tell them about what God has done for me. I'm gonna tell them how he's forgiven me of my sins. I'm gonna tell them about how they can have a relationship with God Almighty, how they can be forgiven of their sins. I'm gonna proclaim to them the Christ. See, God used something such as persecution to get his people exactly where he wanted them to be. And God was already at work in Samaria preparing them to see somebody who's coming, performing signs and wonders and miracles and proclaiming the gospel. And as soon as they do, what what happens? But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. You see, God was at work preparing the Sumerian people before Philip even got there so that when he showed up, as he was being obedient and sharing the gospel and just proclaiming to them what was the overflow of his heart, they believed. This is a perfect prime example of the fields are white for harvest. Who's gonna go bring it in? Philip goes because of the persecution. Philip proclaims to them the Christ. The Spirit emboldens him to speak even in the midst of immediate danger. The Spirit is at work in performing these signs and wonders that are valid to him, he is saying, that are giving all the people of Samaria reason to believe him over believing Simon. So much so that even Simon, the one who's tricking everybody else and making them be amazed, is he himself amazed. Philip is obedient to be a witness to Jesus as he's being dispersed from his home and as he goes to this new place. But now let's look also at our second example. The Ethiopian eunuch. Now this is interesting because it begins in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So it's an angel of the Lord that appears and tells Philip where to go. It reminds me of Abram way back in Genesis. An angel appeared to Abram and said, rise and go from your your family, your kindred to a place that I will show you. He doesn't say where. He just says, I want you to rise and leave. And Abraham does it. He doesn't, he doesn't exactly tell Philip where he's going or what, he, what he's about to get into. He just says, rise and go to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And Philip obeys. Philip says, okay, if that's where you want me to go, that's where I'm gonna go. So we've got an angel that tells him where to go first, okay? So he arose, verse 27, and he went And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship 
And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Verse 29. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. See, it started with an angel telling him, hey, I want you to go to this specific location, Ethiopia. So he goes. And once he gets there, he sees this chariot. There's an Ethiopian in it. He's reading something. And the spirit says to him, go join the chariot. Spirit doesn't tell him what to do once he does join the chariot. The spirit, the spirit just says, go join the chariot. Go see what's going on over there. And look at his response. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Now the, the spirit doesn't say anything else. The spirit just said, go join the chariot. So getting there, he hears him reading Isaiah the prophet. And so he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. It's Isaiah chapter 53. Maybe the greatest chapter in the whole book of Isaiah. It is so messianic. It is so all about Jesus and pointing to him as the savior. And he says, like a sheep that was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch says to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And Philip has got to be thinking, thank you, Lord! Yeah, softball right on the tee. Boom! Isaiah 53, it's like the easiest passage ever. And that's what he's reading? Yes, I'll do it. All because... He was obedient to the angel initially and he went and he listened and because he listened to the spirit telling him, hey, go join that chariot. The spirit didn't have to tell him exactly what to say once he got in the chariot. As soon as he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, he's like, ah, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand that? Of course not. How can I understand? Let me tell you. Look at what he says next. Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Why did he do that? Because he was led by the spirit. The spirit was preparing this Ethiopian by somehow convincing him that he should go to Jerusalem to worship Somehow he was able to acquire this scroll, which was the book of Isaiah, and he's reading Isaiah 53. Maybe he had read the whole thing. I don't know. We don't know how much of it he had, but he was reading a really good part of Isaiah. And when the Spirit had put him in that position, Philip knew exactly what to do. Philip knew exactly what he should say. He didn't need further instruction from the Spirit because the Spirit had already put him in position, and he was ready And he explained to him the good news about Jesus. And the response, verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. 
And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. See, the spirit all throughout the book of Acts is doing amazing things all over the place. And as I think about the book of Acts and as I think about our lives in 2023, I wonder, are we listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with people? Are we aware We believe the Holy Spirit is at work in the world to prepare people to hear the gospel. Do we believe Jesus when he says the fields are white with harvest? Paul, obviously in the next chapter, has a conversion. Chapter nine, verse one says, Paul was, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. God changes that real quick. And Paul, when he writes to the church at Thessalonica, he says, do not quench the spirit. To quench means to kill the working, right? To think about, uh, I, I was a welder in the Navy, and sometimes after you weld something, you need to quench it. And what that means is you put it in a bucket of oil, and it's super hot from being welded, And that cools it down very fast and changes its properties and helps harden the steel. You quench it. You take all that heat and and remove it very quickly. Paul also warns the the Ephesian church not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And what we know about this is that it's possible to quench the work of the Spirit. And it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit and we don't want to do that. Paul, later, to this same church in Ephesus, he just told them not to grieve the Holy Spirit. He also says, in, in talking about the armor of God, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, which you can, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. That word extinguish is the same word translated as quench in 1 Thessalonians. What does the shield of faith do? It kills the power of the enemy's attack. What does Paul say not to do with the spirit? Don't quench it. How do we quench the spirit? What if Philip, standing there seeing the chariot, hearing the spirit say to him, go join that chariot? What if he had said, that's gonna be super awkward. I've never met him. He's never met me. If I just start running at this chariot, this guy's gonna be like, who's this weirdo? What is he doing? Get away. I'm trying to read. That's not his response. His response is immediate obedience and he runs after the chariot. How often are we feeling led by the spirit that maybe we should have that conversation? Maybe we should talk to that person now. That relationship that's been building with a neighbor or with a coworker or with a friend or even with a family member. And they even mention something religious or they mention something about Jesus or about the church. And we just think, ah, it's gonna be too awkward. I don't want them to think I'm a weirdo. And we quench that work of the spirit there. I know I myself am guilty of that. 
Plenty of times I've thought, maybe not now. Uh, it's awkward. It's just weird. Getting bad vibes. We need to be willing to listen to when the Spirit is leading us and telling us, hey, go. Go for it now. Talk. Have that conversation. Maybe what we would see is something like this. We've got a whole crowd in Samaria that they're believing and they're being baptized. Got this Ethiopian who clearly, as he's explaining Jesus to them, talks about baptism and the importance of it because the Ethiopian sees water and he says, hey, what's stopping me from being baptized? And they go down and he baptizes him. I think this morning that as we think about having an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, it kind of makes us a little feel a little awkward at times, especially if we haven't done it much or uh, if, if maybe we've put it off so long that now it's, it's, now it's awkward to bring it up. Now they're gonna be, because we, you know, we've had so many conversations and we haven't mentioned anything about Jesus that if I just bring it up now, they're gonna be like, where are you coming with this? As we think about that, I think there's somebody or maybe a couple people that are coming to your mind. I know a couple people that are in my mind right now that I'm thinking, I need to take advantage of the very next opportunity to share with them the good news about Jesus. And I wanna challenge you to pray specifically for that person or for those people. Pray that God will give you opportunities to share the gospel. Trust that the spirit is already at work in them to prepare them to hear it. And while we don't have every recorded instance of when Philip went and had a conversation and was rejected or it didn't go well, we know it happened. We know it's gonna happen to us. But we also know that God might do something amazing and save them like that. Because the work of the Holy Spirit in Philip is the same Holy Spirit who's in you and me right now. So I wanna challenge us to listen to the leading of the Spirit. Listen to when the Spirit is giving us opportunities and take them. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. Listen to Him and follow after Him in obedience. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this account of Philip and how he was willing to listen and obey and see people come to faith in Jesus and believe. God, I pray that you'd help us to be bold. Help us to know that you are at work preparing people all around us. And God, help us to be faithful to share with them the good news about Jesus, trusting that you are able to change their hearts and forgive them of their sins. And God, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.